Welcome. This is the weekly Sunday sermon from Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. You can find us at ranchobaptistchurch.org. This week's message by Pastor Jason Swanson, the Gospel of John that you may believe, Jesus is the greatest. The original date of this message was the 11th of December, 2022. Well, good morning. I am Pastor Jason. How are you guys doing? A little cold? I, I like the rain. In fact, I love the rain. It reminds me of Papua New Guinea. In, in New Guinea, we could actually hear the rain coming down the airstrip. Then it would come over the house. It was awesome. And I heard that this morning outside. I know you guys are hoping that by the time you, that we're done, it'll stop raining. I'm actually going the other way. I'd like to drive home in the rain from church. That'll be sweet. I have been enjoying so much our time in the Gospel of John and the opportunity we have to just spend some concentrated time thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is no more better lead-in to Christmas than what we have been doing, spending time in the Gospel of John. But this morning, I'd like to start off in Matthew chapter 16. Verses 13 to 19, and I want to frame our time together this morning with this question. If someone were to ask you this coming up Christmas, let's say you have a family member that does not know Jesus. And they ask you, hey, what what is Christmas to you? What What is Jesus to you? What would your response be? Are you going to make much of Jesus over Christmas, leading up to Christmas in the next so many days? I love this passage of Scripture because it places the focus on who it should be on the Lord Jesus Christ and how great He is. And that's what we're going to see this morning, that Jesus is indeed the greatest Peter knew this. Sometimes we forget. Throughout the hustle and bustle and the craziness of Christmas, we miss Jesus for who he is. So Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 19, says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then Jesus hones things in more. And and he said to them, but who do do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal us to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, he's not talking about Peter, he's talking about himself, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Why? Why does Jesus have such authority? Why is Jesus the answer to all of our problems? Our main problem of sin. We're going to see this morning because he is the greatest. And he is like no other man who has walked the face of this planet. He is like no other man that you and I have talked about, thought about, seen. He is above all others. Turn with me to John chapter 3. Recognizing that we're coming off the, the testimony of John the Baptist. And that John the Baptist is approached by, as we saw last week, some of his followers. And basically they're asking, hey, why is this Jesus guy so, so popular? Shouldn't you still be popular? And what does John the Baptist do? He points to Jesus and he says, he must increase, I must decrease. That's verse 30. Today we're going to look at 31 to 36, which goes on to say this. Again, still speaking of Jesus Christ, that's the he. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who, he who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Let's pray for the preaching of God's word. We, we need the Lord's help this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your all-sufficient word. For it is just what our souls need to feed on this morning. It is the truth that we need to drink as though we were in a dry and weary land. Lord, I pray that you would set me aside, that your Holy Spirit would take over, that you would use your word as only you can to go down deep into our souls and to speak to us, Lord. For truly, we want to hear from you with all the hustle and bustle and, and all the noise outside, Lord, during this time of year. We want to hear from you, Lord Jesus, and we want to follow you. And we want to know of your greatness, that you are greater than all. And we want to celebrate you. And we want to worship you. And we want to speak of you. And we want to glorify you in all that we do, 
on this day all the way through Christmas Day and on and on. Help us to make much of you, that you might increase, that we might decrease. And it's in the most precious name, the name above all names that we pray. Amen. So last week we saw in this depiction of who John the Baptist is, what true godliness looks like. And what we saw is that being truly great is found only in being truly humble. Making much of Jesus and little of yourself, that is what John the Baptist did. That he saw that Jesus Christ is greater and greater and greater. And this morning, we are going to see the same exact thing. But last week, I held back just just one particular thought, and I want to share that with you this morning. And that is a warning warning given to all of us from these followers of John the Baptist, these disciples of John the Baptist, who no, no doubt had heard of Jesus because John the Baptist was pointing to Jesus over and over and over again. So, so they knew of Jesus. They even spoke of him, even though they wouldn't say his name. But here's the, the caution. Here's the warning. Here's what none of us should do in these next days. And really what none of us should do for the rest of our lives is don't treat Jesus like he is every other man. That he is like you. Or that he is even like John the Baptist. That, that is where John the Baptist's followers go way off the tracks. Why? Why don't we treat Jesus like he's everyone else? Because he isn't. He is altogether different. And you cannot respond to who Jesus is and what he has done like the followers of John the Baptist. He is unlike any other man because he is God, made in the likeness of man, being sent from heaven. And and is that not what we stop to celebrate every year? Now, I get it. the, The world doesn't get it. Their celebration and everything that they do for Christmas is entirely different. But for us who believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed our Savior, then this is a sweet and oh so sacred and beautiful time where we get to celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior who came in order to save us from our sin. So what we'll see this morning is is what John saw, what John the Baptist knew to be true. And that is that the only way to escape having the wrath of God poured out on you is if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. We'll see that John wasn't wasting his life pointing everyone to the Lord Jesus Christ, that we should point everyone to the Lord Jesus Christ, in particular family members as we're coming into Christmas. What a beautiful time for us to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And why should we point others to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he's the greatest. And in this passage, and 
Let, let me just share this with you because this is, this is what I believe is happening. I believe that the last words of John the Baptist were found in verse 30. That as we continue on, just as I don't believe John 3.16 is Jesus talking, but the apostle John giving a summary of what Jesus, the Son of God, would do. I believe that this is John the apostle again. And that what we heard from John the Baptist was finished in verse 30. And now John the apostle, he goes back to Jesus. And he wants to make sure that none of us get mixed up on the importance of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he isn't to be compared even with John the Baptist, as great as John the Baptist might have been. Others believe that this is John the Baptist, and and really that is not what is of utmost significance. It's who this is talking about. It's the fact that this is the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why it's difficult is because all we're given are the pronouns. So you don't know who the antecedent is. You don't know exactly if it transitioned. If this was like our tribal language in the jungle of Papua New Guinea, they let you know when you're switching who the subject of the sentence is. Every time. There's a marker that lets you know, hey, there's a new person talking. And that was so difficult to learn how to do because you have to think about the sentence before you say it and you have to let everybody know who's listening. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you now to a new subject. But they don't do that in the Greek. But all that to say that what we are given here is four reasons that you and I are, should believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, as the one who can offer us eternal life, four reasons to follow Jesus, or if you want to apply it to today in Christmas, four reasons why we should worship the Lord Jesus Christ during this Christmas. He is one above all. And that's what we're going to see first. He is two. The one who speaks the words of God. That's all that he speaks is the word of God and the words of God. Three, he has, he has what? He has been given all things. And four, he is the giver of eternal life. But what we see first is this. He is above all and this is of utmost significance. We cannot forget this as we enter into this time of year. Just who this baby is born in a manger. And that is what we see in, right off the bat from, in verse 31. He who comes from heaven is what? Above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. So what we see being held in contrast in comparison to one another is who, the one who comes from heaven on the one hand and then the one who comes from the earth. And what we see here is that the Lord Jesus Christ is held up in higher regard than anyone. And I, I believe he's pointing to John the Baptist in this. That as great as John the Baptist was, he is the one represented as coming from the earth. And Jesus Christ is the one who comes from heaven. And no doubt he is pointing us back to John 3.3 3, that we already looked at where we were told unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of the kingdom 
are from above, born again. You remember the, the whole dialogue that happens. What, what was the reason that we needed to be born again? was because we are born of this earth. And so we have a sin problem. And the only way that sin problem can be rectified, can be fixed, is for us to be born again. And the only one who can allow us to be born again of heaven is one who has come from heaven. And then he uses this word. You would think that it's the same as John 3.16, the world, and they just translate it as he was of the earth here, and that, no, it's probably the same, right, Pastor Jason? No, this is an entirely different word. This isn't talking about sinful humanity. And the comparison that it's making between Jesus coming from heaven and all of us coming from the earth, it's pointing to the, to the earth as not as sinful humanity, but in general as a limited earth. That what, what happens here is it's fleeting, it's temporary. We know that this earth is not going to last forever. And that is compared to what? With heaven, which is eternal, which is infinite, which is unlimited in every sense of the word. And, and that is what is being communicated here. You see, the apostle John is letting us know that Jesus is above all, that he is preeminent, that he is the greatest among greats, no matter who you compare him to. You take anybody who has lived on this earth, and you compare them to the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not even in the same world of comparison. Jesus Christ is altogether greater. Why? Because he is from heaven. His origin is not from this earth. And so as such, we are to understand that he is the greatest. Notice that even in this, in in verse 31, We're told two times that Jesus is above all. It's bookended. It's in the beginning of the verse and it's at the end of the verse. He who comes from above is above all. At the end of that verse, he who comes from heaven is above all. That means he is preeminent. He is over and above everything else. Turn with me to Philippians. The Apostle Paul speaks of the same thing. That Jesus Christ is over and above all. Philippians chapter 2. Verse, we'll begin at verse 8. And notice what God the Father does for the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is who we celebrate in Christmas. Who we remember. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that he is preeminent, that he is above all others, so that, verse 10, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He actually expands on the greatness of Jesus. He says, hey, it's not just in comparison with the earth and heaven. It's, a, it's in comparison with everything. That that's how great he is. Under the earth, on the earth, in heaven. 
And compared to everything, Jesus is the greatest. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, Pastor Jason, but I still don't understand why this is significant. What this has to do with me and and, and my Christmas. You see, as we enter into this time of year remembering the Savior's birth, the birth of Jesus is, is different. Not as we so much want to make it out to be Christmas after Christmas after Christmas. Perhaps you're like me. And you put a whole lot of stock in the fact that Jesus was born in such a humbly, humbling circumstance. And in, in, in such a, what you would call not a normal kind of situation. Right? See, it wasn't normal first for an innkeeper to just toss Mary aside and say, hey, sorry. Normally he would have found someone that would be able to look after her. And so we see that it was an incredibly humble circumstance and situation location a place that is that is designed for animals not the king of glory to be born and so we tend to make that so so important but do you recognize this morning that there have been many 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 women who have born children in those kinds of environments in those kinds of locations. And humble means, do you know that it's not even clear from Scripture whether or not Joseph was there? We always like to put him in all of the nativity scenes or anything you see on television, the reenactments. But Scripture isn't really clear if if he was there with her or not. It could have been that she was completely alone. And in this humble circumstance and in this humble place with the animals... But even if that's the case, she's not alone. She's not the only woman to have done that. If you, again, had had come or spent time with us in the jungle of Papua New Guinea, one thing that has never changed, the gospel coming in and changing so many things in the lives of those people who we ministered with for nearly 20 years is amazing. You want to know one thing that did not change? And this is strange. Their whole birthing process. You see, what you would see over and over again is you'd see a woman who is ready to have her child. And she's most likely having contractions. And she'd walk down our airstrip completely alone. And she'd go off into the bush, into the jungle someplace, alone. Nobody would help her. Why? Because they they felt that it would hurt the baby if they touched any kind of stuff that the baby had. My, you know, all the, all, all the liquid kind of stuff. And so if they did actually go to her, her birth, they'd, they'd back off. And they wouldn't get associated with her at all. And if there was some sort of problem, they'd use leaves in order to touch the baby. Not for cleanliness, but because they thought that, that if they actually touched that baby... And, and, and they got some of the liquid from that baby or the blood from the mom or whatever upon them that they would get sick and that they could die and that the baby could die. To my knowledge, that's never changed. When a woman gets pregnant she, and then is going to deliver the child, she goes by herself to deliver that child 
And then you know what you'd see? You'd see her trucking back up the airstrip at the end of the day, carrying this new baby back home. So what is of utmost significance isn't the fact that Jesus was born in a stable. It, it, it isn't even the fact of how he was born. Do you know what is of, of utmost significance? Write this down. It is who was born. The one above all was the one that was born. The one who should not have traded his glory for anything, but did. That set that glory aside, so to speak, and took on human form and flesh, all because of love for us. So what do you do with this? The question for us all this morning then as we see Jesus' love put on display by coming to the earth, him who is above all. Here's the question for us. How is your understanding of Jesus being above all going to change the way that you worship him this Christmas? Don't just come here and listen. Don't just come here and read. We need to apply this to our lives and change the way that we worship. But how is that going to change your worship? How does your understanding of Jesus being above all better prepare your hearts to celebrate his birth? How does it change your worship of this babe in a manger? For me, it's it's, it's my perspective on, on not so much the where and the what or even how, but on the who. Remembering that above all things, Jesus is is preeminent. He is above all others. And he is the one who took on human form and flesh. And that is who we celebrate on Christmas Day. And that allows me to have a whole different perspective on things such as when the, the kiddos that we're now looking after are rifling through presents. And let's say that they're just throwing the paper all over the place. And I want to just say, stop. Hey, no, no, let, let's clean this up before you open the next one. Or if they get up early, I'd want to say, no, no, you guys go back to bed. It's way too early. It's 4.30 in the morning. And what have I done? I've lost an opportunity to point them and say, hey, you know what? Jesus is above all. And we don't know exactly when he came. But I wouldn't be surprised that it was early. So I'll I'll go ahead and get up early with you. We'll all get up early and we'll rejoice in the greatest gift ever given. Or, or perhaps you're, you're, you're more prone to obsess over such things as, as the cooking of the turkey. And you thought for sure it was going to be ready right on time. And the family's coming. And what you find out is your turkey's an hour and a half late. And what are you going to do? Don't obsess. Rejoice that Jesus Christ is over and above all things. And worship him. Even in that. And look at it as an opportunity to pour into your family and to point them to Jesus. Can we do that? Can we see him as above all, first and foremost, and then follow him and worship him this Christmas? Second, how about this? He speaks the words of God. He speaks the words of God. Look at verses 32 to 34. What he has seen and heard of that he testifies. That means he's speaking. And no one receives his testimony. 
He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So now when I say he speaks the words of God, or when you fill in your little blank, I don't want you to think, oh, this is like Pastor Jason preaching on Sundays. Don't even think about comparing me with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or, okay, if, if that's even crazier for you to think, think of your most well-liked pastor. Whether he passed away and you still listen to his sermons, okay, do you, do you have that guy in your mind? He doesn't compare with Jesus either. Nobody does. Because of who Jesus is. The difference isn't their voice. It isn't their articulation. It isn't their ability to read or their ability to memorize this or memorize that. The difference is their origin and their authority. Jesus Christ's origin is different than all of ours. He is from heaven. He is God. And his authority as God is over and above all others. And so when he speaks the word, it is entirely different than anyone else who speaks the word, preaches the word, teaches the word, even just shares a small little tidbit with children. Are you kidding me? Any of that, if we would have been able to listen, we would have been blessed beyond blessed. And that is who came. Do you recognize this morning that only Jesus Christ truly knows God the Father? Because he is the only one who has seen God, existed with God as God. So what we could say that if you want to know about God, where do you go? You go to Jesus. He is the source of knowledge for all things relating to God. If you want to know about God, you go to Jesus and you hear about it from him. We do the same thing, don't we? If your car breaks down and your next door neighbor is a computer software guy, do you go to him and say, hey, can you help me with this? No, you go to a mechanic. If you're sick, you you don't just go to anyone. You go to that particular person. If you have cancer, you don't go to a pediatrician. You go to someone who knows and understands whatever your sickness is and that has knowledge and knows what they're talking about. In the same exact way, if you want to know about God, you go to Jesus. The question is, do you you believe that Jesus' words are that important, that significant? Okay, yes, I get you, Pastor Jason. His words must have been different because he's God. Okay, but what I mean by that is, as you are spending time preparing for Christmas, or as you think through what your Christmas day is going to look like, what greater present can you give to your family than opening up God's word and hearing the very words of God and taking them to Luke 2, taking them to one of the Gospels, and reading of the account from Scripture, taking them to what Jesus said about himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What better thing can you share with your family, even your unsaved family, than to give them the word of God, 
and to let them hear the word of God. And what better thing can you do for yourself as you spend time each day? Are you spending time in the word? Reminding yourself of all the things that Jesus Christ has said. And recognize that not everyone's going to receive Christ's word the same. We, we see that. We've already seen that in the Gospel of John, going back to even John 3.11. That you do not accept our testimony. That's what Jesus said then. And we're seeing the same thing here. That at times, folks aren't going to listen or want to listen to anything you have to say about Jesus. And, and that's okay. You do it graciously and lovingly. And then we see in John 33 that there are some who do receive. He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, God is true. What is he saying? He's saying that everything that Jesus says was what God says. And so you take them as one and the same. And everything that Jesus said about God is true. And he has set a seal on this. This is what Jesus did. What they did back in this day was if somebody had a document and they wanted to prove that that document was binding and it was legal and it was true, then what they would do is they would put their seal on the bottom of that document, letting everybody know, hey, I've read this document and I'm in agreement with everything that is written in this document and everything written in it is true. What Jesus Christ is doing is he, is he is doing the same exact thing. Everything that I have said about myself and about God is true. When you believe me, you are believing in the Father. You are believing in God. And then he says something even more amazing. And that is the Holy Spirit and his work in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? This is too what makes Jesus Christ's sermons, any kind of speech that he gave, any kind of talking, different. It, he was what? For he, I believe that's talking about God the Father, gives the Spirit without measure. That he gave Jesus Christ the Spirit without measure, meaning it was not limited in any way. Do you understand that the Spirit working in our lives is limited according to what? According to what we let the Holy Spirit do in our own lives. Are we going to let him control us? Or are we going to choose to sin? And what happens over and over again? Our, our, our sinful flesh wages war with what the Spirit is telling us to do. Jesus Christ had no sinful flesh. So he is the perfect representation of the Holy Spirit and his work in action in bodily form ever to be seen by anyone. And so whatever Jesus did or whatever Jesus said was the Holy Spirit 100% unadulterated. But that's the way you want to look at it. Totally different than anything that was seen before or after. Jesus Christ. And the way that the Holy Spirit worked in his heart and in his life was the fullest representation of the Holy Spirit's power ever seen. 
And, and that should mean something to us. Why? Because He's God. And the Word, and the way that the Word communicates to us, putting this emphasis on the Holy Spirit and His work in the life of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ needed the Holy Spirit, don't we need the Holy Spirit even more? So the work of the Holy Spirit wasn't limited in the life of Jesus and that is why it was put on such full display and why his words and his preaching and his teaching and his miracles and everything else designated him as being the greatest that has ever lived and walked the face of this planet. And so we can know for sure that his words were God's words and that when you listen to Jesus, who are you listening to? You are listening to God. So first, we have what? He is above all. Second, that he speaks the words of God. And then third, that he has been given all things, that all things reside with him. And we see this in, in verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. So what does that mean? What kind of things has he been given? Turn with me to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And here we see what Paul has to say about Christ. And notice how amazing this is. Because the invisible God becomes visible through Jesus Christ. There's no other way you could know him but through Jesus Christ. And he is the exact representation of God. And he is the Holy Spirit and all of his fullness and power on display in his words and his actions and everything and also in his sovereign reign that everything has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. Verse 15. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So whether it's things you see or things you can't see, Jesus is over and above it all, and he has been given all of it. All things have been created through him, but not just that and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Does he have first place in your life? Do you recognize this morning, today, and tomorrow, as you walk through this, the rest of this month, that he's been given you? that he's been given your family, and even the way that you worship him on Christmas Day is something that he wants to be honored in. But notice, too, this extends out to those, to those times when, when, when perhaps tragedy strikes and things don't go the way that you thought they were going to go. Does Jesus have that? Does Jesus have perhaps a, a loss of a job or, or just a lower amount of pay. And so this Christmas is 
going to be a little bit more tight. Does Jesus have that? Perhaps celebrating Christmas this year with someone that you don't get to celebrate Christmas with anymore. Does Jesus have that? All of these things are within the the sovereign control and hands of our wonderful, loving Savior who we remember on Christmas morn. He's been given all things. And notice why he's been given all things. And this should be an encouragement as well as a challenge. It's because of the love of the Father. It is because of the love of the Father that the Son is is given what? The, The Spirit without measure. And all things are placed into his hands. Do you thank the Lord for his love? On display. Turn with me to John 17. As Jesus prays this prayer for all of us. You see, there's this teaching in Scripture that lets us know that where Jesus learns love is from the Father. And do you know where we learn love is from Jesus pointing us to the love of the Father. And as we come to Christmas, and as we go through this month, the love of God, the love of the Father, the love of Jesus should be on display in the way that we love our families in the way that we love our neighbors, in the way that we love one another at church. Where am I? (laughs) John 17. This is so sweet. 24 to, to 26. Look at what Jesus says. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Why? Because God has always existed as love. So long before anything was created, God loved. It didn't start when he created us. He's always existed in a loving relationship as a triune God among the Godhead. That's hard to wrap our heads around. If you, ha- if you have it, just come and tell me and, and then I can write it down so I can communicate it to, to all of you that just how incredible that is. So they've always existed. And God the Father has always loved who? God the Son as well as God the Spirit. And they love one another. And then Jesus says, and I want this love, your love, God the Father, that they see in me, I want it in them. And I want it put on display. Because they're going to know that they're mine. They're going to know. The outside world's going to know that they're mine by the way they love one another. And how sweet is that? The, the question is, do we thank the Lord for his love on display, even as our family loves us? Do you recognize that when, that when your spouse or whoever is so close to you that you love so much, that the reason why they love you is because of God? Because that love originates in God. So anytime you see God's love on display, a present you get, that can go back to God because that's where we learn love. We could flip this on the other end and and it becomes very compelling and and, and a little bit of of a difficulty if we choose to only love those who we know are gonna love us in return. Because that's not the kind of love that Jesus has. That's not the kind of love that we saw on display in the life of Jesus over and over and over again. 
The question for us then is, how are we going to love our family throughout this time? As we gather together, perhaps with unsaved family members, how are we going to point them to Jesus? How are we going to make much of him? Recognizing that he's given all things. So he's been given us. He's been given our families. He's placed us into our families with the intentionality that we would be used by him to point them to him. So he is above all. Second, he speaks the words of God. Third, he has been given all things. And and finally, and oh so significantly, this is the best of the best. He is the giver of eternal life. And there is no other who can give eternal life but the Lord Jesus Christ. Going back to where his origin is from. You see, Jesus could have done lots of things as a perfect man, but not as God and man. Entirely different. He's able to purchase redemption for all those who would believe in him because he is God. And so as such, he is the giver of eternal life. That is where we see 36, going back to John. 3.36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. There's only two kinds of people in this world, according to God's word. The ones that have and the ones that have not. In this case, the ones that have the wrath of God abiding on them and those that do not have the wrath of God abiding on them. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and have eternal life and those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have God's wrath and one day will suffer eternal torment and pain and torture in hell. Are you thankful for the giver of eternal life? And are you speaking of him? Notice the the incredible truth that is given to us. Two truths. On the one hand, we see that, that the wrath of God for all those who do not obey the Son, the only one who can obey the Son are those who have believed in him. So that's speaking to their unbelief, to their rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that what is their present reality? It's not in the future that the wrath of God will abide on them. It's right here, right now. Their present reality is the wrath of God abides on them. The wrath of God means God's settled holy displeasure against sin. I'll say it again. God's settled holy displeasure against sin. Anything that goes contrary to what God says is good, he is going to have a what? A holy displeasure against that. And it's settled. He's not like you and I where one day your kid does something and, and they're punished. And the next day, oh, I'm just going to be gracious. Why? Because we're tired and impatient. And we don't want to actually go through the bother of, of having to discipline our children. No, God's not like that. His wrath is settled. It's a strong indignation directed at wrongdoing and also as a focus on retribution, you will receive 
your just payment and punishment for your sin. You can count on it, but notice that it is happening right here, right now, that this wrath abides presently, today, right now. It is remaining. It is staying. It is hanging over. That's another translation for this word, abiding. It's hanging over anyone who has not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what this wrath is. Have any of you guys ever seen the, the Winnie the Pooh with Eeyore and the, and, the, and the gray cloud? That wherever Eeyore goes, that gray cloud is just following him. He's like, huh? That's the picture. And please, if I just minimize that, then, then strike that from your memory. I, I want you to, to, to have this vivid picture in your mind that all those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ have this abiding wrath of God following them everywhere that they go, and they will never escape it, even after they die. Unless they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll never escape it. You can't escape it. It follows you, and it follows you into the next life. But praise the Lord that that's not the end of the story. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. That's present tense, right here, right now. As soon as you believe, that eternal life is given to you. It is yours. It is your beautiful bounty. It is your present possession. It is your today treasure that will never be taken from you. And unlike me, when I, when I was a, a little boy, and I, and I knew what I'd ask my mom for for Christmas, and I, and I looked at this present, and I just hoped, oh man, I hope, that's, I hope it's my new skateboard, and I, and I hope, it's, hope it's one from ET Surfboards, and not one from, from Target over here. But I didn't know what it was actually going to be. There's no uncertainty with those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a reality. For all of us who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that that wrath of God is no longer hanging over me. Amen? And it's no longer hanging over you. Okay, let's end with this. I forgot this in first service, and that was lame, because this is so good. Revelation chapter 20. Verses 10 to 15. And I'm going to start with the devil because I want us all to know where he's going to end up. That this is a reality. That he may be reigning now and he may be doing all sorts of stuff in our state that can baffle us, but you know what? He loses in the end. Revelation 20, verses 10 to... Let's go all the way to the end, 15. And the devil who deceived them which are the the nations of the world who actually think they can gather together with the devil and and defeat God, which they cannot. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That is the wrath. I know that some preachers like to backpedal and say this and say that. That's not true from God's word. It does exist. It is a reality. And anyone who does not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is their future. Period end. It has no end. And then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. 
and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Nothing's hidden. God knows all, and he's recorded all. Can you imagine standing and having to be judged by everything that you ever did, not just on the outside, but what you thought? Beyond scary. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged. Notice everyone. No one's going to miss this, except for those of us who have our names written in the book of life. They were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. It is no little thing to have the wrath of God abiding on you today. If it is hanging over you, please turn to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Repent of your sins and believe in him that you might receive eternal life. Let me, let me pray for us. And if you do believe, John 5, 24 is true for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel of John and how rich and deep it is because it's all about you and you are the central focus of it. I thank you for John 5, 24 which says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, does not have that wrath abiding on them anymore, but is passed out of death and into life. I pray that that is the case this morning, that all that are here this morning have, have, have passed out of death and into life, that your wrath is no longer abiding upon them, And if they haven't, that they would now, that they would trust you. I pray that you would use us as we go from here. As we enter into this time of year celebrating your birth, that you would give us opportunities to share with you or to share you with others how great you are, that you are truly the, the greatest among all those that have ever lived and that you are the savior of the world and that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.